So, what do you think? Oh, God. Yes. Uh, what happened? <laughs> I got old is what happened. I found myself at the uh, Lens Crafters picking up some reading glasses. Oh, they're reading glasses. I know. <laughs> I remember when it happened to me. I always read before I go to bed. And I one night, I picked up my book and started to try to read. And it was all fuzzy, just overnight. I got myself the laser eye surgery about 10 years back, and I feel really ripped off because I paid extra for the x-ray, and I didn't get it. Oh, the x-ray vision. <laughs> yes. And um, the thing was, is they said, hey, you know, if, if you ever have a problem in the future, just come on back. We'll give you a touch-up. But what they didn't tell me was that the problem once you're north of 40 is that um, you can either correct your distance vision or your near vision not both, but they did tell me that uh, I've got one eye that's really good for distance, one eye that's really good for close up. And so some people in television world like me will get one eye lasered for distance and one eye for the other. And you retrain your brain so that one eye looks at things up close and one eye looks at things in the distance. This is what they told me. I had the laser eye surgery done about 10 years ago as well. And they said, look it, at some point, your eyeballs are going to distort, so you're going to require reading glasses. Now you can come back, and we can either make it so that you can see distance like an eagle, or we can touch it up so you can see really good up close, but you can't have both. I was hoping that maybe they could give me a prescription that trained my eyes so I don't see myself as an old man. <laughs> Here we go. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. The iPhone 10 is here, and you've come a long way, baby. We'll speak to the senior editor of Motherboard, Brian Merchant, about his decade-long trip through the history of the world's most ubiquitous smartphone. We'll also learn a few dirty secrets about the company Android users love to hate. We're giving away this week a Roku Premier Plus media streamer. And it's way cheaper than anything Apple or Android have to offer. $1,500? Plus Apple Care, plus tax. I just, I just can't. Honey, we're selling the car! <laughs> and now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. So I don't know after spending $1,000 on the iPhone 7 that I could justify to my wife spending $1,529 on the 10. I was in Singapore, and I got up at 1 o'clock in the morning, Singapore time, to watch this whole thing. And I thought, wow, this is a really cool phone. I have an iPhone 6S. It is time to upgrade it. And I was really looking forward to this new Jesus phone. Um, <laughs> but then yeah. after, after the presentation was all over, I went to the Canadian site and I saw, I mean, $1,300 to start, $1,500 for the fully tricked out one. And then I did the exchange based on what the Americans are charging. And we're paying some sort of stupid premium above and beyond the exchange rate. Oh, so, okay. Let, let, number hey, one. Hey, 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 hey. As, as the business geek here, let me tell you that, that every corporation at some point needs to figure out where they're going to peg the Canadian dollar against the U.S. dollar. And that's the, the line in the sand. And so it'll go up. It'll go down. Yes, we're getting screwed by about 120 bucks 
flux at this point. But the Canadian dollar is not always going to be 81 cents. No, this this is true, but it is what it is right now. This, and so it drives me nuts. First of all, um, the premium on of the 10 over the 8 seems to be a little extreme for whatever you're getting. It's the same chip. You get the fancy facial recognition, you get the new OLED screen and a couple of other things, but I don't think that premium is worth it. So I have, I really want a 10, but I can't justify the, the cost. I just can't. Brian Merchant is the senior editor of Motherboard and the author of The One Device, The Secret History of the iPhone, published by Bantam Press. He joins us now to look back at the past and how we got here. Brian, good to have you with us. Hey, thanks for having me. Do you think you can justify 1500 some odd dollars for the new toy? Well, I guess uh, the jury's out. We'll have to see if the thing ever actually ships, too, right? I mean, they haven't even got the date down for when they're actually going to get them in stores, so a lot of questions still oh, to be answered. Come on. They told us November is when I can... I, I have between now and I think it's November 3rd, a few days before my birthday, to convince my wife to, that I need this device. Part of my problem <laughs> is that I went with the 256 gigabyte for the uh, iPhone 7, which means my entire life is on this device. I can't go back. Have you actually filled up your phone? I, I admittedly have 94 gigabytes free. Okay, so I have a 64 gig... 6s and i still have 13 free because i don't you know i don't i don't store everything on the phone in terms of uh, photos and music i i'm very judicious about that because i'm i'm conscious of the space so i could probably get away with a 64 gig uh iphone 10 but you know you really do want the 256 right i can imagine brian this is remarkable considering what the first iphone came out as eight gigs right that, i mean that's barely a movie right now it's like it's it, it, it's barely an app it's just a sliver a pale sliver of of what we're we're doing now and i mean it's you're you guys are both right the thing is so big now that we just kind of are shoving everything in there it doesn't even matter you know really we i don't even think twice about you know what to download what to what to leave on the on the app store floor it's just this yawning cat i've got a 128 myself and i haven't managed to fill it up and i've never really once not you know, downloaded something on account of its uh, uh, of its size. You mentioned not having to worry about what you download off the Apple Store. There was a time when there was yeah. no iTunes App Store in the first place, and that was on launch day. It was what a year later. Yeah, that's that's a funny bit of uh, iPhone history that I think a lot of us forget now. That when the, the original phone launched in 2007. Uh, there was no app store and there was no mechanism at all for getting new programs loaded onto the thing. It was, uh, you know, sealed, sort of signed and delivered. That's It was what you saw is what you got. And that was a really, you know, conscious decision on, on uh, Steve Jobs and uh, Apple's part. They really wanted to ship something that was a controlled ecosystem, something that they, you know, had 100 percent. Uh, design, aesthetic, and, uh, you know, functional control over. So when they launched it, you know, you got basically, you got Safari, you got the phone, you got the uh, SMS, it was called at the time, and you got the, the music app, which was called iPod. But you didn't, you know, have an app store. You didn't, there was not even a single game on the iPhone, just to put it in perspective. Today, the vast majority of the apps that are downloaded and certainly the revenue that goes through the app store are all games. Uh, 
you know, games and streaming services. But you look back then, it didn't even have a game. I mean, the Nokia phone at the time had Snake. <laughs> Everybody was sitting in, you know, it's wild. Well, see, that's the thing is that at the time the device came out, I myself was looking at getting a new phone. I had a Sony Ericsson. I loved it for the camera. I had a newborn and photography was my entire world. So I wanted something that was strong. Nokia had a good camera, but they also had the Symbian operating system on the Nokia N90. And I was convinced that was the one I wanted. It even had a, a keypad. It was not completely touchscreen. I bought it, brought it home, and was terribly disappointed by the build quality. But I figured Symbian, that's the future of the operating system of the smartphone world. How wrong was I? I returned it <laughs> and then uh, eventually found myself holding an iPhone. But there was a point at which people were very skeptical about the touchscreen as being viable. Yeah, I mean, it was really controversial at the time. Uh, and in fact, I, I, there's a kind of a fun uh, historical gem that I unearthed in my r research and my reporting uh, of, of the iPhone's development. Um, and that's kind of the now sort of the de facto face of the iPhone. There's a couple of them besides Tim Cook, but this guy, Phil Schiller, who's the SVP of marketing, who always goes out on the keynotes and kind of does what used to be Steve Jobs' role in sort of showing off the, the hardware of the phone. Um, he was... 100% dead set against there being a, uh, a, a touchscreen on the phone. He wanted there to be something like the BlackBerry, uh, according to uh, an interview I did with, with Tony Fidel, who was sort of uh, the head of the hardware department at the, uh, at the time for the, for the iPhone. So it, even inside Apple, you had factions that were kicking and screaming against uh, including this multi-touch uh, all screen sort of input mechanism, which was really, you know, you look back, that's the revolutionary uh, thing about the iPhone at the time, for, especially from a hardware perspective. You know, there was nothing. Touch screens were, in a word, lame at the time. It was like, you know, airport kiosks. You know, you're <laughs> jamming your finger on which flight you wanted, and they never work, they suck. ATMs had them, but not, you know, consumer electronics weren't really using touchscreens. So it was kind of this gamble to use a touchscreen uh, at the time. And a lot of people who, you know, did like Blackberries and, you know, I know up in Canada, it, Research in Motion was, uh, you know, kind of the you know the, the the rising star and it, it was it was has been a little bit of a bummer to see them uh tumble in the wake of the iphone but uh yeah Tum tumble <laughs> I, yeah i guess fall precipitously off the cliff is yeah what I meant. so this was this was project purple that uh steve jobs had actually um initiated and he brought a bunch of teams together and put them in a smelly building in a room where everybody was 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 working in close quarters for a very long period of time there were all these factors like you said i mean poor tony fidel who eventually got um pushed out of the whole thing later and um you know it's it's amazing how much went into the phone and how skeptical the tech geeks were about you know should apple get into this whole cell phone thing it's probably not going to work because you know the carriers demand certain technical standards and steve jobs isn't going to you know stand for that and um it was it's actually when you read your book it's actually a miracle that the iphone got launched with at&t to begin with. Yeah, I mean, it really was. It's another one of those firsts. And it was uh, another sort of one of the um, innovations of the iPhone wasn't even in the technology. It was cutting through this very stultified, very 
old school uh, sort of carrier and handset maker a business relationship that had just been entrenched for for decades. Um, and it, it you know it really took a lot of doing, a little bit of luck, and again, you know, myriad forces sort of coming together to, to kind of force Steve Jobs' hand into really fighting for uh, complete control over the design um, and function. And now, you know, it's a little bit exaggerated uh, now, you know, as sort of these tech histories kind of tend to be, because, you know, Apple did have to relent on a lot of things. You know, they got a big book that AT&T still demanded a number of things. They still had to do voicemail. They still had to do, you know, calls a certain kind of way. They still had to do an address book. So it's not like Apple just got, like, free range. They still had to play ball, but they did end up with a very favorable negotiation. Um, and, and it was one of the more surprising parts of the iPhone history that it happened at all. Steve Jobs didn't want to do a phone, didn't want to do a phone, didn't want to do a phone. His e-staff was convincing him, make late night phone calls, emails, and it finally took this long extended chat in the middle of the night with Mike Bell, who, you know, wouldn't even be with the company by the time the iPhone came to fruition, but he really kind of, you know, laid down the law. He said, listen, we've got these form factors in the iPod, which is our star product at the time, but the cell phones are going to eat our lunch. It's going to be this huge industry. It already is huge. It's going to be even bigger, but no one's going to carry around an iPod and a cell phone as soon as cell phones can play mp3s and that day is just around the corner so let's just do this let's take one of johnny's great ipod designs slap a phone in it and let's go and finally after this long conversation uh steve jobs finally said okay from what i understand as well they behind the scenes were working not on the iphone first but the ios came courtesy of plans for a tablet based device that wasn't ready for prime time at the same time bell was banging down jobs's door uh, to build a phone based device ultimately they decided to port this bigger screen tablet interface all touch screen into an iphone but wasn't the the itunes phone that preceded the iphone oh the rocker the rocker <laughs> the the device Device designed to teach the industry that you should let Apple do what Apple wants and not play by the standard telecom industry rulebook. The the rocker was terrible. It was it didn't work. It, how many how many songs could it hold? Maybe a hundred. No, I thought it was even less. I thought it was something along the lines of an album's worth. Yeah, it was like this arbitrary number that they actually you know the phone had a bigger hard drive. They just limited it because. They thought if it was too big, then people would stop buying iPods. So Apple, that was Apple's, you know, that came from inside Apple. That was their demand, that it only be so big so that, you know, people would still buy, uh, you know, what was then their biggest moneymaker. But yeah, there are so many different feedstocks kind of into the iPhone. Um, and that was, you're at, you're 100% right. It was long before even, you know, the word iPhone was ever floated. There is this kind of core group of, of, of designers and, and input engineers who were working on a, a tablet, basically. Uh, and they had keep, they'd kept that project even secret from Steve Jobs for a long time. But it was, you know, it eventually came to, you know, his attention and they really, really were excited about this, but they couldn't figure out a way to make the price point work. So when the rocker failed and they had this pressure mounting to do a phone, um, they said, well, this thing was interesting. You know, we, what if we use the carriers to kind of help subsidize the cost eventually? 
then we can maybe justify, we shrink the screen, we can make it work easier, it won't be as complicated. I mean, it's still a crazy research project, so it's still kind of really a moonshot, but that was kind of the reasoning. So then they had that go, and they had sort of this iPod phone go, and they pitted for a while the two teams against each other to see you know, which uh, model would, would, would end up working. What do you make of them taking away the home button, considering there was a time when Steve Jobs said, uh, we, we don't want to look at a trio, we don't want to look at a device that requires a stylus, I only want one button, now it doesn't even have that. Right. Yeah, you know, I guess we'll have to get used to using it for a while if, once, if we do end up buying that uh, iPhone X. Uh, but, but, you know, I imagine, you know, they've been kind of like subtly shifting around the core components and and use cases for a while now you know they got rid of the iconic slide to unlock a little while ago in favor of the fingerprint sensor the touch id and now they're getting rid of that and you know who knows i mean there are people who really feel passionately that you know they're kind of erasing some of the design charm that made the iphone special by, you know, I certainly was kind of struck by that. Usually it's, you know, oh, the iPhone's going to have this fun feature and you swipe and you slide and it's and then then this keynote they had this ominous sort of like glow beaming into your eyes like it was some 1984 scanner, you know, it was just like weird. <laughs> so I was like this is like one of the first times it feels like dystopian instead of exciting, but so who knows? People are kind of up in arms about it, but as they usually do, you know, people usually get over it and buy it anyways. But, you know, I don't know how long can can Apple's sort of goodwill to get rid of cherished features go on? Maybe indefinitely, maybe not. Well, they took my headphone jack away. Right. <laughs> um, let's let's go back to the original iPhone and that presentation that Steve Jobs did uh, where he talked about it's a phone. It's an Internet communicator. It's a gaming device. Three things. A widescreen iPod with touch controls, a revolutionary mobile phone, and a breakthrough internet communications device. An iPod, a phone, and an internet communicator. An iPod, a phone. Are you getting it? These are not three separate devices. This is one device. And we are calling it iPhone. Today, today Apple is going to reinvent the phone. And here it is. The Apple development team, this is the story I hear, is that the Elf, Apple development team was in the front couple of rows and they had vodka in, in, in flasks. And every time the phone worked, they took a shot because they... <laughs> no, this is, this is the story, is that, that they weren't sure whether the demo was going to go uh. according to plan. So every time Steve did something and it worked, they all took a shot. So by the end of the presentation, they were blotto. Well, apparently, the reason why the Face ID failed in the big iPhone X d demonstration wasn't because it didn't work. The company insists that people behind the scenes had been handling the phone in advance, and every time the phone looked at a face and didn't recognize the, the guy who owned it, they said the phone said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to unlock. And after two times, the phone said, this is not my face, I'm not going to unlock. It forces you to use the passcode 
code, and that was the explanation, not the idea that it had failed, which, man, oh, man, I would not have wanted to have been in his shoes. Oh, God. I, was, I saw that, and, you know, he was pretty smooth about... Um uh, covering up the mistake, covering up the, the the fail, but you just know that people backstage had a heart attack, and and somebody somewhere had a couple of new ones torn. Right? Yeah, that was a, you know, that's the one thing you don't ever want to have happen at an Apple keynote demonstration. I mean that, and this was their new thing too, right? Like this is. I mean, the phone looks slick. It's cool that it's you know got barely any bezel left or anything, but this is like the one thing that it does that's brand new and to have that you know blow up in your face at that key moment man he somebody he got a he got a yelling at by someone back there i also have to question the wisdom of of, of an apple executive using the poop emoji to talk <laughs> i mean i mean that that's Instant, instant meme, and every Android user in the world jumped on that. Every <laughs> Apple critic jumped on that. And I think, okay, I understand you're trying to show a sense of humor, but really, talking shit, I don't think you <laughs> wanted to have that at your, at your senior executive level. Right, let's impose shit onto my face, like, and broadcast <laughs> yeah. it for the world to see. Here's my shit face. Yeah, like, yeah that was a great yeah. move, guys. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was in. Uh, I was telling Mike I was in Singapore at the time of the presentation, so I got up in the middle of the night to watch this. And I'm sure the people in the, in the next rooms heard me going, "No, no, don't do it! Don't do it!" Yes. If you were by chance wondering what humanity would do when given access to the most advanced facial tracking technology available, you now have your answer. Yeah. So of all of the secrets you uncovered by writing the one device, the secret history of the iPhone, what was the secret that popped up for you the most? Oh, gosh, there's a lot of them. Um, well, getting into Fo getting into Foxconn was really cool. Yeah. You know, seeing seeing that firsthand, um, very few people have seen that firsthand. So getting a sense of what it is that these laborers are coming face to face with every day and the sheer scale of this operation, you know, Foxconn. Uh, the Longhua plant, there's still hundreds of thousands of people who live, work, eat, sleep there. Um, and that's still one of the places where the iPhone is made. And the Eat, sleep, and die there. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's true. And it's it's really grim. Um, and, you know, I in, interviewing these folks, I thought that after Apple had made such a big to-do about uh, trying to address the issue in the wake of that suicide epidemic back in 2010... Uh, breaking out, you know, they said we're all over this. They said we're gonna, you know, provide counseling and and really try to fix the situation. But the response I got from the workers who are still there on the ground is that things just haven't changed that much, and it's more of a psychological issue than anything. So it's they haven't done enough to change the actual work culture and the folks that are, you know, in charge of management on the the line managers and the the people who are actually kind of berating these uh, workers when they screw up in these intense 10 to 12 hour days on your feet, screwing in a little component over and over and over, making the iPhone possible. So it was dispiriting to see that conditions were still so bad. Um, uh, so that that was, you know, I'd encourage folks to, 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 to read more about that because that's, you know, something that doesn't really get talked about in the wake of these uh, fancy product demonstrations and, and iPhone X's and so forth. 
Gee, thanks, Alan, for ending it on an up note. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. So here's a better one. Here's a more – so Steve Jobs didn't want to make a smartphone because, quote, he thought they were just going to be for the pocket protector crowd. He he was dead set against you know making the phone in the first place, and he really thought that it was just going to be for dorks. Basically, it, it that that was a funny you know seeing the extent to which he didn't want to to embrace what would become the the you know the company's reason for being now. I mean that's the Apple is an iPhone company, and without that you know it's hard to see where apple is today D- dorks yeah no dorks, did you see the new glasses i'm wearing <laughs> <laughs> brian merchant is the senior editor of motherboard and the author of the one device the secret history of the iphone published by bantam press brian thank you so much thanks so much for having me ever wanted to be a big shot co-producer it's just like hollywood visit geeksandbeats.com to learn how you can pad your resume with an exciting show credit we'll even send you the album cover of your episode suitable for framing in your parents basement. I don't think we got anything out of Brian that's going to convince me to be able to convince my wife to spend 1500 bucks. You know what? That is more than my first car. I can legitimately write off some of the stuff that I buy <laughs> as a result of my doing this show and a variety of other things. Yeah, until the federal government gets a hold of your tax situation. I really have... I, I don't know if I can bring myself to spend that kind of money because you know you pull it out and it's going to be it, it's going to scream conspicuous consumption and if you drop it by the way you're screwed you know the apple care warranty program on that is 250 dollars, which is as much as my first cell phone that's because it's glass front and back so you're <laughs> going to drop it smooth and it's inevitably going to it's going to break and or, or shatter so yeah you're going to need that so 1500 dollars for the 256 gig model plus another 250 for apple care plus tax so you're looking at two thousand dollars i remember running into my first virtu phone remember virtu no, no. Virtu uh, was these were these boutique phones. These uh, that they had their own before there was an iPhone store, before there was an Apple store. They they had these these boutique out, outlets that that sold these these expensive cell phones that were in you know titanium cases and all the rest of it. And there was a special button that got you to a special concierge and all the rest of it. And Virtu is I think pretty much dead now. Uh, but I remember seeing, wow, who would spend $2,000 or $2,500 on a cell phone? Something that you're just going to get, you know, you're going to get drunk and you're going to leave it in a cab. And it, it, it's, it's, wow, never going to buy one of those. But now look at this. Here's Apple with, with for Canadians, which will be a $2,000 cell phone if you, if you trick it out. What was more disappointing to me than the $1,500 price tag on the 10? Don't call it X, they say. Uh, was the fact we didn't get an update on HomePod, because I'm really looking forward to uh, replacing this Google Home device with something that actually knows what my life calendar and all that kind of stuff is for the iPhone, and that'll come December 15th. We did get one thing, and that was a new iTunes. Yeah, we did. Um, so I'm looking at it right now. Let me just open it on my computer here. Let's see what uh, happens. Do, do we have the time for that? Oh, no. There, it crashed again. Let me just try it again. Uh, I'm going to open it up again. And 
Uh, oh, no! If there's, w there are a few dirty secrets in the Apple world. One, Apple does wireless very, very poorly. Uh, it took forever for AirPlay to work properly between my iPhone and my Apple TV. And, and even wireless technology with cellular is, is spotty from time to time. Remember the old days where you couldn't hold your iPhone a certain way because it would uh, hang up on you? You're holding it wrong. Exactly. Um, but if there's another dirty secret of Apple, it's that iTunes, is just awful. It is. It's 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 bloated. It's got way too many features. It's being asked to do too many things. And now uh, I'm looking at iTunes 12.7, which is the new version. I've tried to start it five times on my brand new iMac, and uh, iTunes quit unexpectedly while using the Audio Codex plugin. Hmm. So what they've done here is they have tried to make it a little bit more streamlined. So iTunes U is now located under the podcast heading, which I don't understand, but okay. And if you want to manage apps, you will no longer manage apps under iTunes. You have to go to your individual devices and manage them from there there, which is really kind of annoying because especially if you have a lot of apps, I have an, uh, I just checked, I have 186 apps on my iPhone. And <laughs> what? I know, I know, I know, I know. And if you were to, in, in the old days, you would go to iTunes and then you could move around your, your screens and your apps within iTunes. It was just so much easier to organize all your apps on your phone. Now yeah. that ability is gone. You have to go to your phone or your iPad and, you know, hold the little, hold things down to the little X's and the things start jiggling and then move them around with your finger and do it that way, which is much less convenient than doing it through the iTunes interface. So while they've made it a little less clunky and cluttered and a little bit more streamlined, it comes at a price. London. Paris, New York, Toronto. From high atop the Marconi Tower in downtown Toronto, this is a GNB News Update. We are going to give away a copy of Brian Merchant's book. The senior editor of Motherboard and the author of The One Device, The Secret History of the iPhone, has made it possible. And the only way you can win a copy of this book is by being a member of the world's worst intern program. Now, I can tell you, as somebody who has read the book, it is very good. There is a story about how he gets inside the Foxconn factory in Shenzhen, which is actually fascinating. And then he goes into the entire development of how the iPhone came to be, this Project Purple and the touch interface with the pinch and zoom and everything else that, that went into it. It's so much more complicated than, than you might imagine. And when you read this book, you realize, wow, it, it's amazing that the iPhone ever got built in the first place because of so you know the internal intrigue and, and all these other things that were happening within Apple. Uh, it's a, it's absolutely, if you have an iPhone, it's, it's a must read. So the only way you can win is by being a member of the world's worst intern program. And what makes it the world's worst is you pay us $1 an episode to work on the show. Don't do any actual work. And the only thing we'll do is thank you uh, when you become a, an intern. But it also means that for every dollar per episode you donate to the show, we will turn that into a raffle ticket so that you can win something on the show. So we'll, we'll give it a couple of weeks and then we'll uh, dig our hands into the digital raffle bin and uh, pull out a name. As we have done for the winner of the Roku Premier Plus, the 4K media streaming gadget, courtesy of our fabulous friends at Roku, and Johnny PR has made this possible. So we would like to congratulate, as the winner of this fabulous gadget, 
Ian Long. Ian is a $2 a month episode donator, by the way. That is one hell of a return. Exactly. Uh, I believe Ian may have also been a member of the uh, co-producer team in the past, where he dropped 25 bucks to get his name on the album art, which we send to him so he can print off, frame and hang in his mother's basement, and uh, say fabulous things about him. We also want to say fabulous things about Jacqueline Schwass, who is the latest new intern to the big show. You got nothing to add? Oh, hey, Jacqueline, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Uh, we, we, listen, we work on a shoestring here. Anything that we get is, is helpful. We also want to say uh, thank you to Kevin Ryan, who is a uh, member of the world's worst intern program as well. Please go to geeksandbeats.com. Uh, support us by clicking the support the show link or go to Patreon, which is how we do it. And the best thing about Patreon is you can set a lifetime limit so we don't ding your credit card until kingdom come. So we don't have a co-producer this week, but that's OK, because maybe next week it'll be a pet, as we had previously reported. We do have this Google Home to give away. By the way, when I was in Singapore, I met the head of music product development for YouTube and Google. October 1st, we will give it away. Okay. And and so my, my new best friend is, is the guy that uh, we, we actually talked about uh, how to integrate Google Home with things like terrestrial radio. So um, he's, he's an interesting oh. sort of dude. I should give you his number. Yeah. Yeah. We should talk to him. Uh, but like I said, I, I was waiting for more details on the Big Apple announcement. The one more thing uh, was the iPhone 10, which is no surprise there. I was really hoping that we learn more about how iPod, uh, about how HomePod plugs into uh, everything else that we've got in our smart home world. I'm looking to rip everything out and start fresh, so maybe we'll do that as well. Yeah, um, I, I was disappointed in that because um, I, I do have my Google Home. I do like it, but I would like to really integrate everything with... Uh, all my Apple gear in, in, in a, you know, consistent manner, and, and they didn't say anything about HomePod, did they? No, they didn't. But it's still coming, so we'll get it. And it's not a thousand dollars as I thought. It's only three hundred and fifty dollars, plus the fifteen hundred I'm going to have to spend on the iPhone X. If you have the disposable income, it's not again. It's not fifteen hundred. It's fifteen hundred plus Apple Care plus tax. So if you've got $2,000 to spend on this thing, Godspeed, go ahead and do it. I'll be very, very jealous when you pull it out at dinner, and I'm thinking, I'm looking at my iPhone 8, thinking, ah, damn it, I should have done it. Oh, you're going to get the 8. I, I don't, I need, I need one. You need one. Well, I got to get something, because my... You need one. Well, I need, I, I, I do need one. The, my problem with my, my old 6S, which has done a very good job, is that it doesn't hold a charge for more than seven hours. It's gone. So I, the battery is, is, is tired and it has to be replaced. So There is an alternative to spending $900 on the iPhone 8. You can spend $80 and get that battery fixed. I can't be seen with a 6S. <laughs> what are people going to think? Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.